Welcome to episode number 131 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown. Joined each and every week by Brett Colson. We run down all the big bets, all the big news, and all the big happenings in this crazy gambling industry of ours. As always, guys, we're at every single place that you listen to podcasts. So please go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. We really do appreciate that. If you want to follow Brett at Brett Colson on the Twitter machine, if you want to follow me at Matt Brown M2, the letter M, the number two. We'll uh, talk this Thursday night football game. I don't know how excited you're going to be to go in and and get after this thing, but we'll talk about it and see if there's anything that we can maybe pull out of it for as far as value or something we might be interested in betting on. We'll also hit on everything that's going on in the World Series. We'll hit on all these things that are going on in these other betting markets. So there is actually some updates to the NFL as well. And Brett, um, First things first here, your raise ticket is still live. However, as we have gotten through now one game of the World Series, I don't know how confident you are in holding that raise ticket. I'm not that confident. Um, Definitely a little nervous. Playing catch up is never fun uh, in a series against the best team in baseball, but it is baseball. You know, this, the Rays are a streaky hitting team. They got excellent pitching. So I, I still feel pretty good about them making series a series out of it. But yeah, falling behind one nothing against this roster is, uh, is not where I, I would prefer to be at this point. One thing that that has done is this has changed the series line to the Dodgers minus 455, the Rays plus 333. So this actually goes off. Yesterday at DraftKings as Rays plus 160 to win the uh, to win the series Dodgers minus 200. So the odds more than doubled on the Dodgers by taking that game one. I know you had let's let's pretend that you did not have this futures ticket on the Rays, but you were but you still liked the Rays all season long is 333 enough down one nothing to come in and get in on this race team, or did you see enough in game one and actually just over the last few games, actually with the Dodgers and this lineup and how they've been hitting the ball to where you don't feel necessarily comfortable coming in and even taking that three to one. If I didn't have a lot already invested in the race, I would probably put more down the race right now. So you think you're, you're fairly confident in them being able to come back. Yes. I think they are that good. Remember last year when it was uh, Astros and Nationals, and if you if you bet the team that had lost the previous game, if you just bet the series price on that team, you would have made a killing. Just uh, just crushing the market because it was it just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I think that could that could happen in this series too, and especially in a neutral environment. Yeah, I guess my only huh. When I looked at this, I guess my only thing is they hit 200 in the postseason so far and have gotten by on the long ball. They actually led the whole postseason in home runs hit, which is not how this team is really built and not how this team is built to win games. And you saw it again in game one, them not being able to get the timely hit to get people in, not being able to string a few hits together to score runs. And so that really is what is is kind of lingering with me right now. So, um, you know, again, I, I'm I, I, I want the Rays to win. I like the Rays and I think it'd be an interesting story and all that um, with, you know, their, their payroll being literally like half of all these other big market Not teams even. and and all of that. But, um, you know, I just don't know if they I just they're not going to be able to get by on hitting out hit uh, hitting home runs more than the Dodgers. And if they can't if they can't start to string a couple of hits together, I think this could be a sweep in favor of the Dodgers. It could be. And the price on that right now is actually I'm seeing plus 350 at DraftKings. It's the third most likely outcome, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, four to one is plus 275. Four to two is plus 33. And then, yeah, plus 350 on a sweep. It could happen. I mean, it is the Dodgers. This 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 offense is ridiculous. And yeah, it, it yeah, losing on glass now's start hurts. And he looked really, really bad in game one. 
I definitely I questioned Kevin Cash leaving him in for so long. The guy could not find the zone and you know the Dodgers worked so many deep counts because he was all over the place and they you know he finally just unraveled in the fifth inning um they I feel like the Rays really needed that game one that's a that's a tough way to start I'm with you I I I I said that I don't feel like you know obviously no game one is a must win but I almost felt like that was as close to one as we would ever get in a game one because it was just you got and and listen they had a chance to get at Kershaw early right had two runners on in the first inning and were unable to get that timely hit yet again and that's one of the things that we continue to talk about is just the timely hitting with this team and so uh, as Brett mentioned there are updated lines for you know pretty much everything at this point exact series outcomes game spread there's even updated odds for World Series MVP where right now Mookie bets three to one Clayton Kershaw at four and a half to one, Max Muncy eight to one, Walker Bueller 15 to one, Seeger 15 to one, Bellinger 20 to one. It takes all the way getting to Brett's, uh, Blake Snell uh, is the seventh guy listed here before you get to a Rays player. Brett, I don't think that this thing goes seven games. So I don't think Clayton Kershaw's in the picture. I think if you're going to be a pitcher in this game, in this series, you'd probably have to go. You know, you'd have to probably have to go three and oh, you'd win, you win all three of your starts or something. So, um, you know, Betts, Muncy, uh, Seeger, Bellinger, I mean, what, take your pick because I guess any of these guys at this point are still live. I guess the only thing I'd do is probably not bet the short shot and Mookie Betts, but with that, he is, he's probably definitely the front runner after one game. Yeah. How, how much do they take into account? the games prior to the World Series because Betts hasn't he has not been very good in the playoffs he's he's hitting for average but he doesn't have a home run yet it's Ben Seager and who else I mean I, mean, I guess it's really been Seager to this point um, you know Bellinger with the, the big home run in game three and in, in game one yeah I would probably stay away from Betts at this price I just, I don't think the Rays are out of it yet. I think this is a, you know, looking at these prices is a bit of an overreaction to one game. And yeah, it was, it was a blowout, but still, you've, I mean, this Rays staff is still rock solid and they're going to go with the bullpen game probably in game three. I don't think they're out of it. Well, I can tell you this. A Rosarena was 10 to one before game one and he is 30 to one after game one. So, you would think if there was a guy in this raised team that was going to be able to have who, who was going to have to have a big rest of the series, if they were going to win, there's at least a way that we can kind of draw the path to a Rosarena winning the MVP. I mean, you're getting 30 to one, which is now three times as much as you were getting yesterday. I feel like he was due for some regression. <laughs> like well, this yeah, guy was think? just dropped on to the planet and just went ham <laughs> during the playoffs um yeah they're gonna need some production out of some of these other guys they can't rely on a rosarena to carry them a rookie yeah it's gonna be uh it is going to be fun though i mean look at the end of the day uh we did get the two best teams throughout the course of the season and we're uh we're just gonna need to make sure that it's a little bit more competitive like you said they just uh they were able to work those deep counts with with Glass now, and what that did was, you know, he was at eighty six pitches through like three innings or yeah. something like that, you know, and so it was uh, it was going to be tough because they were going to be they were going to be taxing that pin as it was, regardless. But um, timely hitting is the real name of the game here. As long as the Rays can get a couple of timely hits here, we could get a series. If they keep leaving these guys on base like they have been, relying on the solo shots, that is going to be a quick end to this series in my opinion. Um, All right, Brett, let's talk a little bit. Uh, You said that you've briefly looked at golf this week. So let's go ahead and uh, touch on that real quick, because we do have the Zozo championship, which is a, you know, pretty star studded field. I would say, I mean, like there's a good amount of people who are now kind of like, starting to continue to prepare there for the masters. I think people, if you're, if you're forgetting, we're, we're about a month away from the masters. So Rom, Shoffley, McElroy, Thomas, uh, Terrell Hatton, Webb Simpson, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Reed, Matsuyama, Berger, Cantlay, fin, uh, Finau, Wolf, Hovland, Tiger Woods, Harris Ingos. These are all players that are in the field this week at the Zozo. 
Yeah, this is a tournament that usually takes place in Japan. They moved it to California because of COVID. It's a unique setup at Sherwin Oaks Country Club. Five par fives, five par threes. So par four scoring will take a back seat this week. This plays as one of the shorter courses that they'll see on tour. And then the results speak to that. Uh, former champions on the PGA Tour at this course, Zach Johnson, Graham McDowell won here twice, Jim Furyk, Luke Donald. So you don't have to be a bomber to navigate this course and find success. I think you'll find some value on some of these accurate precision guys who are good with short irons, which is, I, I love to attack these kinds of events because you're going to see a lot of people just go after the Rory's and the Justin Thomas's. But this is an iron course. So guys like Morikawa and Patrick Reed and Tyrrell Hatton I think have just as good a chance as the guys at the top. Well, I, I see that it's like, it's, it's really short. And with the five par fives and the five par threes, I don't think when I end up building my model later today, I don't think I'm going to really be looking at distance no. all that much at all. I no. mean, with the, with there being par fives, I really just need guys that score, right? I need guys that can score birdies. So if you can get it and get it close and give yourself a chance at birdie on these par fives and then with the par threes, like you said, that distance doesn't have anything to do with it at all. So uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on this. Yeah, and I'm going to bet – a guy in the middle tier here. I like Victor Hovland a lot this week. I think this sets up as a good spot for him. He was all the rage after the restart. He's cooled off a bit, but still one of the more talented golfers on tour. Excellent iron player. He can score in par fives. Doesn't rely on driving distance. So I think he could go really low here. Uh, and I also think I'm going to bet him for this event and also bet him for the Masters because I think you're going to get a better price on him now then you will after he, I, I do think he's going to perform really well this week. So I think you'll probably get a good price on Hovland to win, to win the masters or, you know, top 10, top five. You can get down on that uh, at the masters. I think I would, I'm going to do that this week as well. So I think the other guy that I think the one guy that I'm going to be kind of taking a, a shot on here and it's mainly because his odds are typically longer, but he's kind of the forgotten man because of everything is, I think I might take a shot on Tony Finau. Um, you having to miss the last couple of weeks because of COVID. He was apparently Brett, like not super sick or anything like that. I mean, he was, he was, he was, you know, signed up for that tournament at shadow Creek this past week, but then just had to pull because he wasn't able to mm -hmm. uh, test negative enough times by the protocols from the PGA tour and all that. And, and we're looking at 30 to one to win for Finau. We know that he has the distance needed if if um if he needs to kind of rear back and go after it but we're saying like probably doesn't need to all that much so um just the natural scoring ability of Finau you know we we want scores here if we're talking five par fives and and three par and five par three so this guy is is a birdie machine when he kind of gets that when he kind of gets rolling and uh 30 to one we typically see him kind of in the 20 20 ish range 20 or a low 20 ish range in most tournaments but i think you know out of sight out of mind for for Finau here and especially in a short field that is a no-cut event uh give me 30 to one on a guy that can score at the rate that tony Finau can i think is something i'm going to be looking at that's where you have to weigh do you buy into guys who have been playing a lot lately and have been putting up good results or do you like going after value guys who have been forgotten and haven't been around. I mean, that's, I think that's probably a good spot for Fino because you're right. We haven't seen him priced this way in a while. Cantley at 30 to one is, is interesting. And, and you got to think with Fino, I mean, like he hadn't been sitting at home eating Cheetos or anything. Right, like, yeah. I mean, he's been out. I mean, he's been hitting and playing and whatever and practicing. It's just, he hadn't been able to be in these events and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that that's a uh, that's that's fairly interesting. A far cry from where he was last week, Brett. Look down uh, right under Matthew Fitzpatrick in the odds, and you will find Jason Kokrak at thirty five to yeah, one. Yeah, boy. And the reason Brett says that I uh, was able to hit Jason Kokrak this past week at uh, at Shadow Creek at a, on an eighty five to one ticket, which is uh, just 
this golf season has been absurd for me. I don't know if there will ever be there. Will, actually, I can tell you for sure. There will never be another golf season like this at all. I just don't even, I I've been so incredibly lucky. Um, and that's what it is. I can sit here and try and all I can do is put in what I think is important at, at certain courses and then try and, and make heads or tails of it and, and go from there. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that picking an 85 to one is, is a ton of skill. It's just uh, he fit kind of the stuff I was looking for. And then sometimes when you can find guys that are way down there that are fitting and checking a bunch of the boxes that you're looking for, you'll you'll kind of roll the dice on them and. Uh, came through at 85 to one on co-crack, but he moves all the way to 35 to one this week, Brett, which uh, I don't know if that's necessarily warranted. I mean, he still is a dude that it took until, you know, he's 36 years old and change until last week for him to win his first tournament. How, yeah. What was your process to getting to co-crack? Okay. So first of all, how many, how many guys did you bet last week? I imagine he was one of only a handful, right? Yeah. I bet five guys last week. So I had, uh, Xander JT, I had Sung J M, which was holy mackerel. <laughs> he played horrible. Oh my gosh! Um, I had Bubba Watson, who actually made a little bit of noise. Yeah, and and then I had uh, I had Kokrak, and so basically what I did was go in and just put in that I, I liked guys that were a little bit longer, but didn't necessarily have to be like the longest guys on tour. I wanted guys that were at least in the upper kind of kind of thirty percent of driving accuracy on that course out there. I, you know, co-crack, one of the things, you know, it's the least predictive of all deals because it's so swingy, but uh, co-crack is actually, has been putting really good, has been a really good putter. He said in a thing that he kind of think he's, he's, he figured something out with his putter. You know, these guys think that they figure things out all the time, but you know, whatever I bought into it with him saying that he he thought that he had figured something out with his putting and uh, was, was rolling the ball a little bit better. And all that. And so um, all of that. And then uh, just kind of I weigh like last 50 rounds, last 30 rounds, last 20 rounds and and all of his stuff just kind of looming. Right. Like he was a dude that was just kind of always looming in the uh, in the model. And then with that, you look and I found him at 85 to one. I'm like, look, if this guy's at least looming in the model and I'm getting 85 to one on him, it's worth me putting it's worth me putting some money down because like basically every time I ran it, every simulation, every everything, he was just like kind of in that top 15, top 20 ish guys. And I'm like, all right, well, give me 85 to one on a guy that's that's popping every single time I run this deal and uh, and I'll take him. And so that's kind of how I mean, not a incredibly scientific. I did kind of after he kept popping, I did, did do a little extra research on him just to see why was there any reason why that was happening. But um, yeah, like I said, you know, 85 to one, that's lucky. I mean, you're, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that there's a ton of skill involved there. Yeah, of course. Did you bet him top five or top 10 or was it just no, all so, in on the, on the, yeah. all in on the dub? Yeah. So like on the super long shot guys, I typically just bet them like to win it. Right. Like, because I feel like they're either going to have the stars aligned one week and actually win a tournament or, or they're just, or they'll fall apart. Like, it's kind of like with Bubba. I only bet Bubba to win. I probably should have bet Bubba top 10 or whatever, but I mean, um, and, and he actually made a run at it there for, for a little bit, but some of these course fits for some of these guys really plays out and that made his odds shrink. I mean, he was 80 to one when I got him last week, he's now down to 35 to Mm -hmm. one this week as well. So it's just, you know, we're seeing a lot of recency bias come into how these odds are playing out. Did you ever think you'd see the day, Brett? where you look down the list and you saw Jordan Spieth at 110 to one in a short field, no cut event. Yeah. And a a good course fit for him too. Really? I mean, he's a short game iron guy, like (laughs) putting guy. I I just, no, I, for this particular event, no, I did not see this happening. Coochers, Coochers down here really low too. Another guy who's been really struggling in 2020. Just crazy that a hundred. I mean, this guy was like, our gift to golf, uh, God's yeah. gift to uh, golf, golf's gift to us. And just a couple of years ago, down at 110 to one to win a tournament. He is below Lanto Griffin and, and all these other guys that like always, you know, kind of seem like they're in the mix, but never win. And boy, that's, uh, that's how the mighty have fallen. There's no doubt about that. We have college football guys and college football continues to, roll on and we are actually adding in uh conferences now in college football this week and what that has done is gone in and it has changed up what we see in the futures market just a little bit 
Clemson's still your overall favorite, plus 120 to win the whole thing. Uh, Alabama, three to one, Brett, but now Ohio State, three to one. Georgia, 12 to one. Florida, 25 to one. Penn State comes in now at 33 to one. So we're starting to see some of these other teams get mixed in here into these odds. And then if you go to the conference winner, if you guys wanted to bet any of these, you certainly don't want to bet Clemson as they are minus a thousand to win the ACC, which I guess maybe if you have a giant bankroll, go right ahead because they're going to win the ACC. There's zero chance that they lose the ACC. But now we have these Pac-12 odds. We have um, Oregon is your is your co-favorite with USC at two to one, Washington four to one, Utah seven to one. And then we have the Big Ten odds that are there as well. Ohio State, a minus 400 favorite to win the Big Ten. So we now have as weird as this year has been. And Brad, we're not going to sit here and, and sit here and say that we spend a ton of time with college football because I don't think either one either one of us thought that there were actually going to be college football this year. Nope. But if you did, and if you do, and if you're into it, there are a bunch more markets now available over at DraftKings and, and FanDuel and the like if you want to go bet them. There certainly are, and it, it's it's still it it's amazing to me that this is actually happening, that we're talking about a possible like Ohio State versus Clemson National Championship, but they're still planning on a college football playoff. Is that right? Like they're still planning yeah. on selecting four teams if these conferences finish their season as scheduled. That is going to happen, which is, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't get into college football, man. We get, we get to Saturday and I just, it's so, there's just so much has happened and there's so much uncertainty still. I just, I guess I just don't want to get invested in it because it could all collapse. I still feel like it could all collapse. So I, I think that's where the attachment lacks for me but yeah, yeah if, if you're into it man there's still a lot of different ways you can bet on college football the, every week the, the biggest shift is it is the Heisman odds where uh, Trevor Lawrence was always your favorite he is now your overwhelming favorite at minus 167 wow. but Justin Fields was your number two and was kind of right there with Trevor Lawrence for the longest time it is now Mac Jones the quarterback from Alabama plus 350 and then Justin Fields at now six to one um and really what it comes down to, Mac Jones has been putting up eye-popping numbers for Alabama. They go out and get a signature win over Georgia this past week. And those odds just uh, plummet because he was, I was, I was kind of monitoring this to see how this would play out. He was, you could get him eight to one, not too long ago. You could get him six to one, not too long ago. Now sitting here at three and a half to one on Mac Jones. So uh, if you think that he can actually contend with Trevor Lawrence for this, then uh, might want to go ahead and get it because it seems like people are starting to bet him. It seems like these odds continue to go down for that. So just be sure and pop in and check that out. Uh, Brett, let's take a look just real quick and do some some quick review, quick review work from the NFL. And again, we're trying to do any review work so that if there's anything that we can take forward with us here in our betting so we see the rebound from, and I think it was, I think you and I thought this was a very obvious, you know, spot that we would see a rebound from the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs coming off their worst performance of the year, and they come out and rebound against a Bills team that I think you kind of saw this coming. And this does not, I don't think that this means that you think that the Bills are a bad team or that the Bills were a fraud, but I do think that you that you were kind of alluding to the fact that they might have benefited from a softer schedule at the beginning of the season and that there was going to be some stumbling blocks along the way. And uh, we might be in the middle of that right now with this Bills team. For sure. And there are, they are susceptible against the run. There are leaks in that defense and Andy Reid went right after it. And that's all he really needed to do was just grind them down with the run game. And we like the Bills had just no answer for it. And I think they they run for like 250 yards or something ridiculous. The Bills had no chance at stopping uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Daryl Williams in that football game. So, yeah, they're, the, the coaching mismatch was pretty obvious. And they didn't even really need to unleash Patrick Mahomes. And that that right there is the scariest thing about this Chiefs team, because I went back after this and kind of looked through their six games so far this year. And Brett, what we've seen is Andy Reid is, and this is what you're saying, like when you're saying these coaching mismatches, because we see coaches get stubborn so often time to time, time after time. 
and not really understanding game situations and, and, and just taking what the teams give you. And that's what the Chiefs are doing, which is what makes them so friggin' scary. Like, there are three games so far this year where they were able to run the ball with a ton of success. And so Andy Reid was like, okay, fine, we'll just run the ball. Like, like he's not one of these guys that's like, we, we have to pass it. We have to do this. We have to do this. It is not that at all. And so he saw, like you said, in this game against the Bills, he saw we're having a ton of success on the ground. We don't need to force the ball through the air. And he did that a couple of, he did that game. He did that against the Texans and he's done this again. So what makes the chiefs so scary is if they need to be a run team, they can be a run team. If they need to be a pass team, they can be a pass team. And if they just need to be a balanced team, they can be a balanced team. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people won loss and we're kind of writing off the chiefs and it's like, I don't know about that. This is still the best team in the NFL. Yeah, they are. Football is so situational. I've been saying it for since last year. Like you attack the Bills through the run game. That's how you beat them. And Andy Reid obviously saw that and just went right after it. And a lot of people talked about the the weather being an advantage to Buffalo because they like to run the football. That's not that. That's not the Bills' offense anymore. The Bills love to get out and throw the football with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and these weapons. And as we saw on Monday night, they can't run the football. This is a great pass blocking team, not a good run blocking team, and they don't have the playmakers in that backfield. So I think (laughs) I'm staring at this Bills Jets game or the Bills Jets line this week, and the number keeps climbing. But I thought I don't think it could climb high enough because the Bills passing offense off that miserable performance on Monday night against this Jets pass defense. Oh, man, (laughs) I think this could be an absolute. It's it's a really good bounce back spot for this Bills offense. We'll just we'll just put it that. I think there were a couple of bad beats in the NFL this week. Oh, yeah. I think if you had the Texans, I think you can pretty much consider that a bad beat. If you had the Ravens, I think you can consider that mm-hmm. a, a bad beat as well. Um, one of the things that was not a bad beat, though, Brad, and I think this is going to be interesting for me digging in a little bit further and looking forward is the Broncos being able to beat the Patriots on the foot of six field goals in that game, Patriots lose 18 to 12 to the Broncos. And I took a deeper, I took a little bit deeper look in the Patriots here and look, man, their two wins are the Dolphins and the Raiders. And then their losses are the Seahawks, the chiefs and the Broncos. So, I mean, they're, they're, they beat a couple of teams they were supposed to beat. They've lost all three of the games they were supposed to lose. And Cam Newton is, look, he's, he's obviously better than any other option that they have, but he's been fairly average. And I don't know if it's necessarily his fault, his alpha, you know, I mean, when you look at the receiving core that this team has, I mean, Nikhil Harry can't figure it out. His number one receiver is Julian Edelman, a five foot 10 dude. Like, I mean, I just, in today's NFL, that doesn't cut it. I just, I don't know if this team is really built to, I think we can actually see this Patriots team end up on a, on a decent little losing streak here. They were throwing like meaningful third down passes to Ryan Izzo on yeah. Sunday. That's how, I mean, this offense is a disaster. Even with Cam Newton, I can't even imagine what it would look like if they had Jared Stidham at quarterback, which is what we were talking about coming into the season. It's just not a good football team. It's a terrible roster carried by the best coach in NFL history. Yeah, and it's finally starting to play out that this yeah. is how bad this roster is. I yeah, mean, it's bad. Looks, I mean, 49ers, Bills, now they do get a, a soft spot with the Jets on the ninth, but then... Baltimore, Houston, Arizona, Chargers, Rams. I mean, those are all games in a row. That's not me skipping around. That's Ravens, Texans, Cardinals, Chargers, Rams. I mean, they're not getting through that without losing at least three of those games. I mean, like this, 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 if you're holding a Patriots under ticket right now, I think you are probably feeling pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Definitely. And I, 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 someone who's holding a Bills division ticket, one of my few good reads going into the season, it looks like uh, the Bills winning that division. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that one, too. Although now I'm, I'm worrying about Miami now. Miami's on the up and up. Well, and that kind of takes me to my next the, the next big story here. And this kind of came out of nowhere, Brett. I think we all thought that this was coming at some point in the season. I did not think. It would be coming as we, you know, in week six. And that was not what I thought we would be getting. But the three and three 
Miami Dolphins, who, by the way, are very, very, very in the thick of things as far as that division goes, have decided to make the switch from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tagovailoa. This is coming on the heels of the Dolphins' 24 to nothing win over the Jets. And don't get me wrong, the Jets are pathetic. But uh, Fitzpatrick has led them to a 3-3 three and three record. They are right there in the thick of things in the division, but they are making the switch to Tua. Whenever you saw this pop up in your in your uh, in your Twitter threads yesterday, what was your first and initial reaction? Uh, yeah, my take on this is like if this was the plan all along to insert Tua after the bye week, they're on a bye this week, so he'll come. He'll come back in week eight. If that was the plan all along, I think I think you just stick to it. You stick to the process, but. I don't like the idea of having the plan to begin with because you don't know what the season is going to turn out to be. I think right. being more fluid makes more sense. Ryan Fitzpatrick's been pretty good this year. Why would you? And it, this, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna compare this to the Bills situation when they replaced Tyrod Taylor with something Nathan Peterman because it's different. You're talking about Tua with the pedigree of like one of the all-time great college quarterbacks, but I don't know why you would. Get get the team out. They've been playing great football the past several weeks. Why would you, why would you break this apart to bring in a rookie quarterback? I don't. I just don't understand that. They're in the middle of a playoff race, and you're replacing Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's been playing great, with a rookie quarterback. I, I don't. I don't agree with it. But if like like I said, if this was the plan all along, I guess you just have to stick to it. Yeah, I am. So you just have to kind of tell me what you think on something like this, but so my hypothesis is we knew Burrow was going to play all year. Anyway, I think they were content with the fact that Burrow was going to play all year. Right. Do you think that Herbert coming in and playing as well as he did had any sort of, do you think that that maybe tipped and pushed the hand of the Dolphins to make the switch to Tua because you you look out there for the Chargers and you look and you see this guy that that is you know I mean let's let's be for real this guy can play and I think he has shown that he can play and I think he's going to 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 be a pretty decent quarterback here in the NFL he's shown that early in his career do you think that it kind of forced the Dolphins to make a move or at least at least egged them on to make a move because of what what playing out with the Herbert situation, I don't think so. Those are very different situations, you know. In in LA, it's Herbert being forced in because of Tyrod's the, the medical issue there, and Tyrod was actually terrible in the first game anyway. So they, I don't think they had any issue or any problem inserting Herbert in there full time. It's I Miami. I like Fitzpatrick's been fine. They've been winning football games with him, so. I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe you might be onto something there, but I don't, I don't see why they would do that. Look at what's two, happening with Herbert and say, well, you know, we can do the same with Tua. Two other quick takeaways for me, and then we'll move on to Thursday night football. Uh, first and foremost, we were all over this. Well, you and I were, I, uh, you and I were all over the Steelers um, on the Browns and it was actually my biggest side bet that I've made uh, in in the NFL throughout the course of the season this year, it was seemed to me like a horrible, horrible spot for the Browns and Baker, a especially and Baker Mayfield and the Steelers. But the other thing is, is the Steelers defense, Brett, might be one of like four defenses that are actually legit in the NFL right now. And and some of that might have to do with injuries that are taking place. And some of that, maybe they haven't just quite figured it out yet. But when you really, when you really kind of dig down, I think that with what they can do on offense and then with having one of the few, what I consider to be legitimate, real week in week out, consistent performer defenses in the NFL I think this Steelers team is incredibly dangerous and I'm actually kicking myself that I don't have a Super Bowl ticket on this team. Yeah, this was a team coming into the year that I was like, okay, they could either, I mean, it really comes down to Roethlisberger and this offense. If if Roethlisberger is even, I think we said like 80% of what he was two years ago, they could be a legit Super Bowl contender. 
And here they are. I mean, he looks fine, and this defense is so legit. Just it, Baker, yeah. I mean, it's if if you don't have an offensive line, and the Browns actually have an offensive line, but if you cannot block these edge rushers and this these blitzers, you don't have a chance against this defense. You just they're they're gonna force turnovers. They're gonna force you into terrible decisions. And yeah, they are doing enough on offense. To where they I, they could win this division. I, they, they're playing better football than the Ravens right now. Yeah, and which leads me to the second takeaway in the second team, which is kind of following along in the same kind of parallel as the Steelers team, and that is this Tampa Bay Bucks team. And they are one of the other teams that has one of the very mm-hmm. legitimate defenses out there. And when now that they got healthy on offense, and we kind of saw what they can do on offense. Again, this is another game we were all over anyway, but but when you take a look and I don't think I don't think we saw it coming out 38 to 10 in favor of the Bucks in this thing, but you look and they've got the pieces on offense, especially when everybody's healthy. They didn't uh they didn't even have to really exploit the pass game all that much. They were able to run all over the Packers. But this defense and what they are able to do and how they are able to scheme and how they're able to get to the quarterback and how they're able to cover we saw it play out with the Packers here, and now it is no shock. I just hit the refresh button, uh, Brett. The number one overall DVOA defense, Tampa Bay, number two, Pittsburgh. I hit the refresh button over at our friends at Pro Football Focus. They're number one overall, the Steelers, number three overall, the Bucks. I think both of these teams are dangerous because they, they are literally one of a handful of teams that actually have defenses that show up week in and week out in the NFL these days. Yeah, definitely. And we talk, we've talked all season about how offense matters more than ever before, but these are the two outliers. These two pass rushes, I think, they can disrupt so much that they can change, they can change a game, much like an offense, a great offense can. I think that's it. I think those, those are the two defenses right now that are they matter more than – every other defense in the NFL. Yeah. They're, just, they're just built differently. And, you know, that was the, that was the, the 49ers last year. They just, obviously, they're, they've been decimated by injury so far this year. So they, they've completely fallen off, and we've seen it. But, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the, these, two, these two defenses are in a league of their own right now. And you could, yeah, you could probably fit the Ravens in there as well. They don't have the talent. They scheme it. But they can be beaten, as we saw. Uh, with a good quarterback and a good scheme like Kansas City has. So, uh, yeah, I, I think these two defenses, the Bucs and the Steelers, are definitely in the class of their own. And if you're if you're wondering, since I'm going to, if I'm going to sit here and say, like, I wish I had a Super Bowl ticket on these things. Well, I don't. But if I, I, if I wish I did. If you wanted, if you did have a, a Super Bowl ticket on the Steelers, you could get it right now at 11 to 1 at DraftKings. If you wanted one on the Bucs, it's at 12 to 1. Those prices, uh, the Bucs has... It, about where you could have gotten it because all the Brady hype. So it hadn't mm-hmm. fall hadn't fallen all that much, but Steelers, you could have got at a much better number than you're getting 11 to one right now. So I have, when I miss the number this badly, I just sit back and I prefer to complain about it, Brett, than, than to go in and bet the, the, than to bet the worst number. Yeah. The Steelers were a team I was looking at right after the Super Bowl last year as like, okay, what happens if Big Ben comes back? Right. But then I got so caught up with the Browns and my love for the Browns kind of <laughs> like the, the Steelers kind of fell off of uh, my radar a little bit. But I do have a little piece of the Steelers that I got in like right after the Super Bowl last year. So at least I have a little invested in them. Oh, no, that's great. That is that's uh, that's wonderful. I, I wish I had I wish I had something. I'll tell you right now, I, I'm not uh I'm not loving my position because I thought I was, I was, we were, we were so high on this team. If you'd listened to these, if you've been a long time listener to this podcast, we were so high on this defense last year. And we literally said, if they had a quarterback yeah. with the pulse, this team would be able to make some noise. And I just didn't, I didn't translate it over to this year. And that is, uh, that's on me. That is, that is on me. But yeah, we are seeing, we're seeing it all play out this year for sure. And I, listen, the more they play, we, we keep forgetting. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger missed an entire year. And then on top of that, had to had to shut things down in the middle of in the middle of the early season because of COVID. Like this offense, you would think could only get better. And so if this offense starts humming along with what this defense is, we might be looking up in three weeks, Brett, and they're the Super Bowl favorite. Yeah, especially if they beat the Ravens in week eight. Yeah, which is coming soon so yeah if it they beat the ravens so if the yeah, if they beat the ravens uh next week they might be the super bowl favorites 
All right. So Thursday night football here, uh, guys, listen, we won't take a ton of time for you. I mean, we understand this is not the best Thursday night football game. Giants at the Eagles. If we are looking right this second as we record this, the Giants are four and a half point dogs. Eagles four and a half point favorites at DraftKings over on FanDuel. The same four and a half on both sides and over at MGM. Four and a half on both sides. 44 and a half is your total at all three books as well. I mean, so we have a tale of two teams here, a really bad team in the Giants, a really injured team in the Eagles. And if you're wondering why we are seeing the line as we see right now, Brett, is because this line fell and opened at six and a half in favor of the Eagles. But then we get more news about just how shorthanded this Eagles team is is going to be and this number fell it, it fell at one point all the way to three and a half it has rebounded now back to four and a half in favor of the eagles but it is just it, we cannot overstate when we say a team is beat up like we say that about a lot of teams but this eagles team there are literally only like three starters that are still available for this team yeah and they've been beat up all year and then the metrically they haven't been good they haven't been that much better than the giants this year 4.9 yards per play to 4.7 both defenses averaging around 4 5.2 yards per play like the eagles are not good and they got bailed out by late penalties against the ravens last week otherwise that game probably would have been an easy cover for baltimore that cover by philly was probably baked into the opener but then the injury news for the eagles just displaced that and we saw the huge move down to three and a half um yeah, I this is a, this is a tough game to cap just because the Eagles have nothing left. Where they do excel though is getting after the quarterback. Like they're among the best in the league in quarterback pressure percentage. They're third in pass rush grade by PFF. They can disrupt. And right. The Giants are not a team that can protect against that kind of pressure and then you got the quarterback Daniel Jones who is a turnover machine he's thrown six picks he's fumbled four times already this season he's got a history of turnover worthy plays that's that's the theme here for me is this this Eagles pass rush is bad you know is is depleted as they are on offense they still have the ability to get up to the quarterback against the worst offensive line in the NFL and Daniel Jones so I think that's that's why you're seeing this line bounce back to where it is Yeah, I mean, so we're talking about this injury. So Miles Sanders out, Zach Ertz out, Malik Jackson out, Kevon Wallace out. Lane Johnson was a limited practice participant, which, listen, if you're an Eagles fan, that one is so massive anyway because Lane Johnson's so good, but uh, at least that's looking up for you. Everybody that's questionable includes Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Avante Maddox, Duke Riley, Marcus Epps. I mean, these are all questionables on a short week. So that's the other thing that I think led to this line plummeting was just the fact that it's it's a short week. And so you have all these guys that are questionable. They don't have the the full week to get ready to go. Um, Brett, I mean, if we look at these, if we look at these offenses, I mean, the there's going to be no shock to anybody. The Giants offense. Their pass blocking grade, 32nd in the league, last. Their run blocking, 24th. DBOA, they are the 29th pass team. They are the 30th run team. They are 30th in the league in yards per play. I mean, you can't just overstate how terrible this Giants team has been. And so even with the Eagles being as beat up as they are, and then let's take a look at, let's just, let's say maybe two or three of these guys that are questionable end up going I mean, all of them all of them won't we know that we've seen this play out time and time again so i mean of that list of people that are questionable let's just say half of them actually get out there and play wouldn't this four and a half point line be justified yes right yeah i think it should so, be higher honestly so that's what i'm saying like is that isn't this like an eagles play right now i yeah. mean like when we when we I know we don't like to bet these Thursday night games just for the sake of betting them, but I honestly think if if there is some value here, we should be taking a a serious look at this. And you know, if this was six and a half, and yes, you're you don't have Miles Sanders, but Boston Scott is a very capable 
replacement. Now there is no replacement for Zach Ertz because he's the replacement for Zach Ertz is already on the IR for them in Dallas. Yeah, now we're down so, to Richard Rogers. So, so yeah, there the guy's already on the IR for for that. But um, I don't know, man. I I keep looking at this line and. I then I'll talk myself into saying like, well, you know what? The Giants defense isn't as bad as we have made them out to be. I mean, their PFF grades them in like if we look at like rush defense, the Giants are graded out as the fifth best rush defense in the NFL, according to pro football focus. And this doesn't have anything to do with numbers. I mean, this is the this is this these guys at PFF going in and watching every single play and grading every single play. And, and the giants are, are ranking out at fifth overall their, their pass rush at 18th, which I never would have thought in a million years. And so the defense has not been God awful. It's just that the offense is that bad. They rank dead last in, in offense DVOA worse than the jets. How is that possible? How could any team be worse than the Jets? Honestly, God, how is that possible? I, that's this, that. How is that? I, I don't. I, I can't even believe that that's a real thing. It's mind that's blowing. Unreal. So yeah, this that's one comes. This one to me comes down to like a good pass rush against this bottom dwelling Giants offensive line. Daniel Jones. Like we attacked it last week, and Washington was clearly the right side of that game. The Giants won, but you look through the box score and you're like, all right, yeah, Washington. Washington deserved to cover there. Um, and, and Philly, they've won games with practice squad players before. They did it all second half of last season. So this isn't anything new for Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. And amazingly, there's still a lot of urgency here for both these teams, actually. And it, it, one game out of the division lead. So I, yeah, I, I like the Eagles here quite a bit, actually. I think they can do enough defensively to offset the inefficiencies on the offensive side of the ball against a really, really bad Giants offense that I think they will be able to force turnovers out of. You know, I, uh, I gotta be with you on this, man. Like I, I just don't see a path to victory. Of course we hate that four and a half number because I mean, could the, could the Eagles win this by a field goal? Of course, you know, I mean, I, I, the four and a half is always that weird dead number that mm-hmm. I, I kind of hate. But if I had to play a side one way or the other, I think I would play the Eagles. What do we think about at all? The 44 and a half total. Is there anything that you see in that or, or do you expect this to be? Well, 44 and a half used to be a normal total a couple of years ago, but 44 and a half is a very low total in today's NFL. Do you consider that to be uh, about where you thought? Yeah, that seems pretty fair to me. Two bad offenses. Well, yeah, I mean, one really, really bad offense, and then the other one's just, it has no players left. So this actually feels a little high, but it is 2020. So 44 and a half uh, is probably right around where I would put it. It's juice to hell, but Daniel Jones interceptions over (laughs) 0.5. Is minus one seventy five, but I mean, this guy is just a, a human turnover. I mean, he is going to turn the ball over in this game, but it is like I said, it's juice to hell at this point. So it, all the value seems to have been sucked out of that one. The only other one I was going to ask you about. So if we if we think this these metrics, which you know, again, we you and I believe in these advanced metrics, and oh, yeah. so if we believe that this Giants run defense is actually good. And they're going to have to pass the ball on the Giants to move to move the ball. Carson Wentz's Carson Wentz's passing total right now is two forty nine and a half. It does make me wonder if if that number isn't a little bit too low because if we think that this Giants defense is bad defending the pass, if we think it is bad through the air, then. 249, we should probably consider this to be a 265, 268, 270-ish type game for this Eagles team. Um, so just what, what do you think? I mean, would that be just like a an over or pass for you on Wentz at 249 and a half? Uh, let's see. He's gone over 250 twice so far this year. I mean, he he probably would have gone over 250 last week. They got all those pass interference calls right like they just marched on the field that way um the i don't know i think that's just a stay away for me i 
I don't know what to expect from this offense this week, honestly. Yeah, and then the 232.5 on Daniel Jones, I mean, the only way that gets there is if the Eagles just pounce on them early and then Daniel Jones has to end up throwing the ball 50 times. Right. You know, and if that's the case, then it probably easily gets there for you on the 232. So however you end up with your, how you feel this game flow is going to be, uh, be sure and bet your props accordingly. Because again, if you think the Giants get down big, get down big early, and Jones has to drop back 50 times, well, I mean, he'll get to 232 by volume alone. It won't have to be efficient volume, but he'll he'll just get there by volume alone. It won't have to be efficient at all. So something to think about whenever you go to betting these games. But uh, we'll have our full breakdown with Brad as we do each and every week. There are some interesting games on the schedule as we lead into this week. Brett, I think one of the more interesting ones that will probably get a decent amount of uh, a, a decent amount of banter from us is this Bucks Raiders game that a a Bucks team that, as we talked about, is is could be one of the most complete teams in the NFL. Only a two and a half point favorite against the Las Vegas Raiders. So there will be some discussion on that one for sure as to how we think that is going to play out in the lowly Browns are only a three and a half point favorite over the Cincinnati Bengals. If that lets you know how that has worked out Steelers and Titans sure to get a bunch of banter as well. Steelers currently two point favorites over the Titans. Um, That's going to be a fun one to talk about, but this uh, it continues, Brett 57 in the Packers Texans 51 in the Panthers Saints 51 and a half in the Steelers Titans 50 in the Browns and Bengals, 56 and a half in the Lions Falcons, 56 in the Seahawks Cardinals. We are at 49 and a half, so almost 50 in the Jags Chargers. That will definitely get there. And 53 in the Bucks and Raiders. There are more games in the 50s than there are in the 40s this week. Coming off a week where there wasn't a whole lot of offense, really um, expecting much more of it this week, definitely. But it's just crazy when you're seeing more fives out there than fours. Yep. I yep. just uh, today's NFL is something else. No doubt about it. You cannot play defense in the NFL. That, I know that. Do not let mamas. Don't let your babies grow up to be defensive backs because you can't do anything like it is. They might be throwing fewer holding penalties, Brett, but they are throwing every pass interference flag they can possibly throw. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Just watching some of the stuff on Monday night, the Bills, the Bills got away with a lot of really soft, <laughs> like the, the, they called everything on the Chiefs. Every, every, every single like tiny little hold they called. So yeah, that's where we are in 2020. It is. Uh, it's unbelievable. Guys, everything uh, written breakdowns over at the lines.com. We also have the uh, portal to our YouTube channel over there. So just click the big YouTube button. That'll take you to our YouTube channel where we do our, our game breakdowns and whatnot over there as well. So you can take a look at our uh, ugly mugs if you would want to do that. Be sure and subscribe over there and give us thumbs up on those videos. Let us know in the comments section how you're playing those games. We are certainly interested to see how you, y'all are going about playing these games and if there's stuff that we need to focus on a little bit more. Are you playing more props lately than normal? Are you playing more totals lately than normal? Are you playing alt spreads totals? Let us know because we'll certainly try and focus on whatever you guys are betting and how you are betting these games. If you want to follow Brett at Brett Colson, you want to follow me at Matt Brown M2. Until Friday, see you guys then. <laughs>